Blog Talk Radio. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. This time he says it's very good. That's the first time. And not so much the parts, but he saw all that he had made. Again, reiterating that he is the creator and the maker of everything. No death, because no evil, and no sin, and no fallenness. Welcome to Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. In a letter that was sent to several pastors, an animal rights group argued that God created animals, and these are their exact words, 
to experience pain, fear, sadness, and happiness just as we do. The group also said that killing animals for food is surely the greatest denial of God in human history. What do you think? Could you justify that view from Scripture? What should be on your dinner plate? John MacArthur helps you answer those questions today as he continues his study of Genesis 1, titled The Battle for the Beginning. Now to review some specific aspects of God's creation of man, here's John. Starting with the statement, let us make man, just stop at that point, there are four features in the making of man that are outlined here. Four features. The first one is the most defining one. Let us make man in our image, and then it is said immediately another way, according to our likeness. Down in verse 27, and God created man in his image, in the image of God, he created him. As if we might somehow miss the point, it's repeated four times. Man is made in the image of God. Number two, man is not only made in the image of God, man is the king of the earth. We look at that in verses 26 and 28. In verse 26, after saying, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, God said, and let them rule. Man then was given this sovereignty at the very beginning. He rises above all the created order and is the sovereign, the king of the earth. Thirdly, we find in creation this is also man's responsibility. It says, verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. Now in verse 27, it says that He made them male and female. Now this is the third responsibility of man. He is to manifest the image of God, personhood and relationship. He is to be king of the earth. He is to tend the garden of God and do everything He can in leading and subduing the created order to put God's glorious power on display, and He is the propagator of human life. He is the propagator of human life. So God made them male and female. That was God's design for marriage and procreation. We've been talking about the fact that procreation exists in all of the animal world. There is even a procreative capacity among the plants who reproduce by means of seed or seed in fruit. God gave man relational capacities, and then God gave man a helper. It says in verse 7 of chapter 2 that God formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He became a living being. And uh, as you read down this passage a little bit, verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. This isn't going to work because I'm going to have to keep creating people. He can't have this. I have to make a helper suitable for him. Now, I know what most people think. This means there's somebody to do the dishes, somebody to take out the trash, somebody to make the bed. That's not the kind of helper. He needed help in one main thing, and that was procreation, propagation of the human race. That was the issue here. He needs a helper. He needs a partner. He needs a perfect match. Out of the ground, the Lord God had formed everything, but there was something different about the way He formed this helper back in verse 20. Uh, God uh, looked all around His creation, and there, was, there wasn't a partner for Adam. There wasn't there wasn't anything in the created order that was at His level. We need to keep affirming that now. The, to, to be a human being is not to be a glorified animal. It's to be an eternal being made in the image of God. And there was only one, and that was Adam. So God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man, and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. 
And the Lord God fashioned it into a woman, the rib which he had taken from the man, and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What was there to be ashamed of? It wasn't any sin. So X chromosomes and Y chromosomes were well known to God, even though they don't appear in the book of Genesis. The male had the genetic material so that a female could be taken out of him and be genetically related to him in the same kind, and then through relationship with her, be able to procreate both male and female. And so together, they fulfill the dominion mandate of verse 28, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Fruitful and multiply. Uh, that the technical word for that is fecundity. It means the ability to procreate. And by the way, that's just all through Genesis. I'm not going to take the time, but you can... Chapter 9, God blessed Noah after the flood. And his sons had said to them, all right, you've got to carry on this original mandate, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Make babies in the vernacular. Produce children. And in the 17th chapter of the book of Genesis, verse 16 speaks about Abraham and Sarah. I'll bless her. Indeed, I'll give you a son by her. I'll bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings and people shall come from her. In verse 20, as for Ishmael, I will bless him, make him fruitful, and multiply him exceedingly. That's to, to make you fruitful and multiply is the Old Testament expression for procreation. So the male and female design would allow man to procreate, which would allow man wonderful, wonderful responsibility and privilege of producing others in the image of God. What an incredible, incredible blessing. You bring a little baby into the world, that's an eternal person made in the image of God. That's a, and there's nothing like it. There's absolutely nothing like it because that little life has a capacity for relationship. And we have the privilege and the joy of enriching our own relationship in marriage by multiplying and bringing into that union others capable of deep personal communion, conversation, and fellowship. We can enjoy with them the same personal relations that we enjoy with each other. And therefore, God is saying you can extend this dominion over the face of the earth. Fill the earth, Genesis 9-1. Fill the earth. Same thing in Genesis 1.28, fill the earth. God um, designed marriage, one man, one woman. That's clear from what I read you at the end of chapter 2. The man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife. They become one flesh, and the way they become one flesh is in the life that comes from them. Uh, one flesh could mean you have sexual intimacy. One flesh could mean that you think alike and you do things together. But the, the truest and purest expression of one flesh is when both of you come together in one flesh, one life. And that was man's mandate. Because in so doing, man multiplies the image of God. That's why we talk so, so strongly to Christian parents who have little children to understand the stewardship you have from God, to bring that little one made in the image of God back to the knowledge of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Man then is created in the image of God. He is created to be king of the earth. He is created to be the propagator of life. And finally, he was created as the recipient of enjoyment. God just wanted to bless him. It says it in verse 28. 
And God blessed them. God blessed them. He just wanted somebody he could bless. He blessed them. How did he bless them? Well, he blessed them with dominion. He blessed them with the divine image. He blessed them with uh, the ability to have relationships. He blessed them with personhood. He blessed them with the ability to understand his creation. He blessed them with the capability to know him as well as to know each other. He blessed them with the ability to reproduce themselves and fill the earth with others made in the image of God. And he blessed them one other way. Verse 29, God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. Now, did you ever ask why it is that God filled this world with such a variety of food, just from the plant side alone? Just fruits and vegetables take away man because there's no death at this point, so man is a vegetarian when he's originally created. But there seems to be absolutely no end to all the vegetation, all that grows, that hangs on trees for the joy of man. I mean, I've, I've often thought God could have made a, a brown sky and brown water and a colorless world and rice. <laughs> and so all you do all your life is eat rice or whatever else. But why did God fill this world with such a vast array of plants and vegetables? It's, it's fruits and vegetables just abound. Every time I go to another culture, another place in the world, I, I'm introduced to another thing that people get out of the ground and eat. It's a pretty astonishing. <laughs> Some of them I don't want a second helping of, but... That probably has more to do with how they're prepared than the, what could be done for them. You know, like covering them with a lot of cheese or something like that. <laughs> but I, I continue to be amazed, you know, and God has accommodated this with uh, another amazing human ability, and that is the ability to taste. You take that for granted, don't you? And the ability to smell. You primarily think you taste, but you really smell more than taste. But God has given us the capability to taste certain things. What a blessing, so that we can literally just enjoy the immense bounty that God has provided for us. So Adam and Eve first were vegetarian. They could eat every plant yielding seed on the surface of the earth. Every tree yielding fruit with seed in it was food for them. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky and everything that moves on the earth which has life, I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. It was so, again, is that... Uh, sort of punctuation statement that indicates this was the permanent established pattern. Man was a vegetarian, and animals were also vegetarian at creation. Why? Because there was no death. Nothing died. Nothing died. God established this as the original fixed pattern. It was permanent at that time. It was so indicates its permanence. Now, there was just one exception. Chapter 2. Verse 9, there was this tree of life in the midst of the garden, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil also. Down in verse 16, and they were commanded, you could, you could eat from the garden anything you want, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. They could eat the tree of life all they wanted, but they couldn't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. To eat what was forbidden would devastate the original design, producing death and decay. Well, it's a sad story, isn't it? That's exactly, exactly what they did. Chapter 3 tells the terrible story 
And we don't know how much time passed. We don't know whether it was decades or whether it was hundreds of years. But the time came when Eve was beguiled by the serpent. And the serpent lied to her and she bought the lie. And she disobeyed God and she ate. And then Adam knowingly disobeyed God and ate. And everything changed. Everything. Chapter 3, verse 19, all of a sudden, taking care of the garden wasn't easy. Well, back, back to verse 17. Because you um, have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles are going to grow. You, you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Your whole life is going to be one very, very great challenge. You're going to have to work hard for your food. And then in verse 21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin. Now, that's the first death. In order to make a garment of skin, God had to kill the animal. God killed the first animal to cover the nakedness of Adam and his wife. Down in chapter 4, in verse 4, Abel brought firstlings of the flock and their fat portions. That means he brought an animal sacrifice, killed an animal, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. The Lord accepted the death of animals as a sacrifice, which means animal, animal death was inaugurated by God, acceptable to God within the framework of His sacrificial system because, of course, it pointed to the wages of sin, which is death. And God later allowed people to eat meat. Over in chapter 9, when uh, Noah and his sons came out of the ark, uh, God said, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Chapter 9, verse 2 and the fear of you and the terror of you shall be on every beast of the earth. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to be king of the earth. You're going to have authority over these animals, but they're not going to be uh, amiable to that. They're going to fear you. Every beast of the earth, every bird of the sky, everything that creeps on the ground, all the fish of the sea, every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. So don't think being a vegetarian is the Christian way. It was originally the way, but once there was sin, God allowed people to eat meat. And I think that was very, very important because God demonstrated through those deaths originally that uh, there was death for sin. Death required a sacrifice. Death even required a substitute. Now, in the glorious millennial kingdom to come, the question could come up, um, is it going to be the same? Well, no, animals are going to be tame, not wild. But there will be some animals killed during the millennial kingdom for, according to Ezekiel 40 to 48, there will be sacrifices held in the millennial temple. So some of them will be killed at least for commemorative feasts in the millennial temple. And sin will exist, as I said, in the millennium. But there will be some return to the original design uh, the prophet Isaiah wants us to understand, and I noted some reference to that earlier, but he wants us to understand that the world will be to some degree different. The cow and the bear will graze, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. The weaned child will put his hand in the viper's den, and, and it, uh, it won't be harmed. So there's definitely going to be some reversal of the curse, though it's not going to be total. In uh, Isaiah 65:25, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like an ox, etc., and a serpent will eat dust. So there will be some changes. Well, summing it up, 
God created man in his own image, created man to be king of the earth, created man to procreate, to propagate and fill the earth with others who would be made in the image of God. He created man to enjoy the bounty of his blessing. And when that was all done, verse 31 says, And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Not just the parts. He's commented on the parts being good. This time he says it's very good. That's the first time. And not so much the parts, but he saw all that he had made. Again, reiterating that he is the creator and the maker of everything. No death because no evil and no sin and no fallenness. Folks, that ends all possibility of evolution, including any kind of theistic evolution which depends on death. There was no death. Things weren't mutating and dying for billions of years during this time. When God says a day, he means an actual day. And so you come to chapter 2, verse 1. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. That's it, folks. There ain't no more. That's the story. It started and ended 32 verses and gave us the complete picture of the created universe and all its wondrous perfection. Do you believe that? It's God's Word, isn't it? It's God's Word. You're listening to John MacArthur. John is Chancellor of the Master's University and Seminary. Today he wrapped up his foundational study, The Battle for the Beginning. We're highlighting this classic series as part of our year-long 50th anniversary celebration here on Grace to You Weekend. And John, I almost hate to see this series end. We've seen today and over these past weeks that what a person believes in terms of evolution and creation has serious and far-reaching implications. It really kind of governs how you see all of Scripture. And the battle that's being fought over this has much more at stake than simply the question of what's going to be taught in a child's science class. Yeah, you know, science has just encroached on this doctrine of creation in a horrific way. It is, I think, the part of Scripture that evangelical Christians are willing to give up before they would give up any others. They don't want to give up John 3.16. They don't want to give up uh, the the account of the resurrection. They, they may not even want to give up the story of Moses and Elijah and Elisha. But they, they seem to be in a big hurry to give up creation, hmm. to give up Genesis 1 and 2 uh, under the intimidating heat of uh, science falsely so-called. And I've been saying this all along. You can't explain creation by any scientific process. Science is simply the observation of what is reality. You look at reality and you conclude that this is what is going on. There is nothing to observe about creation except that it's here. How it got to where it is was not observable. No one was there. It's not repeatable either. It's not repeatable. And by the way, we know that because nothing new is created. Right. Since the original creation so the only way we can know what happened is to find out if the Creator gave us an eyewitness account, which he did in Genesis 1 and 2. And what we've been trying to say is science has never said anything or discovered anything that in any way at all alters the Genesis account. 
It can't alter the Genesis account because it can't intrude into the miraculous. Science only explains what is natural, not what is supernatural. Creation is supernatural. Now, look, I want to remind you that in the series on the battle for the beginning, and it is a battle, we have been tackling a subject that has confused literally hundreds of thousands of professing Christians. It should not be because it steals God's glory and it denies the clear account of Scripture. If you have any remaining questions about this, or if you have some folks you want to share this with, you can get this entire series, The Battle for the Beginning, in a 12-CD album, and it's a full series, 12 CDs. And you can order that from Grace to You at a very minimal price. Or you can do 12 MP3 downloads from gty.org. You can download these messages in the series, The Battle for the Beginning, and um, use them to share with others. Use them with your kids. They may be going through uh, attacks on creation in their school experience or wherever. Get this series and make it part of your library so that you can use it to teach others as well. And we also have a book by the same title, The Battle for the Beginning, which is available as well. That's right, friend. Be sure you know what Scripture says about origins, and you need to know how to defend it. So get John's audio study or get the book titled The Battle for the Beginning when you contact us today. Both the book and the CD album are reasonably priced, and shipping is free. To order, call 800-554-7223. And that number, of course, is easy to remember as 800-55-GRACE. You can also shop online at gty.org. Or you can download all 12 messages from the audio series, The Battle for the Beginning, free of charge at gty.org. And when you visit the website, gty.org, make sure to download both of our apps, The Grace to You Sermon app gives you access to all 3,500 of John's sermons, and the Study Bible app provides you with the text of Scripture and access to thousands of online resources. No matter what passage you're studying, the Study Bible app can help you understand it. Both of those apps are available for iOS and Android devices, and they're free of charge at gty.org. That's our web address, gty.org. Now for John MacArthur, I'm Phil Johnson. Thanks for being here today. And make sure you tune in again next week. John's going to begin a study titled Making Sense Out of Suffering. And he'll show you why even your worst trials can be a source of strength. Join us as we continue celebrating 50 years of unleashing God's truth, one verse at a time, on Grace To You Weekend.
They don't come close to understanding How you can go from most demanded To abandoned in the ocean stranded Surrounded by the waves of your weariness Some things you only learn from age and experience And it's plain to me that all the famous men you see The time is coming when they will be a faded memory Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped Yeah, what in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who yeah. it is Whatever happened to so-and-so, that's what they wanna know Eventually we learn that they all come and go Today's rising star, tomorrow dies with scars Today they all struck, tomorrow you washed up I remember watching Jordan's Hall of Fame speech Thinking this is what it's like to watch the lame reach and gasp But he tries to grasp what lies in the past Never to return, what lies in the past Did he tell himself, was he lost or sober? Did he know it was all but over? The moment that AI crossed him over If I could be like, didn't include dying light Let's shine the light on the one they call Iron Mike Nowadays he's known for being all weird But back in 88, nobody was more feared at the peak of his powers, his opponents would retreat in moments he would eat and devour. Snuff with punches, but we must discuss this. Crushed it just enough to trust his toughness. Pride brings us to justice. You puffed up with smugness? You gonna meet Buster Douglas. Amazing that, which blazed like petrol. The new praise that made the waves in the metro. Was praised for days, but just a phase like retro. And phase like echoes. God used millions of years? This is Ken Ham, CEO of Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum, and Ark Encounter. Now, many Christians today believe God used evolution and millions of years to create life. But does this match with Scripture? Well, Genesis 1 tells us that God saw everything he'd made, and it was very good. In the fossil record, we find evidence of cancer, arthritis, and brain tumors. Are these things very good? Well, of course not. 
But if the fossil record is millions of years old, that means there was death and disease in God's original, very good creation. But death was a result of sin. Millions of years and evolution are contrary to scripture. Instead of trusting sinful man's interpretation of the evidence, we need to trust the Bible. Why must Christians take a stand on the issue of the age of the earth and evolution? Get answers when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com. That's AnswersRadio.com. Death before sin? This is Ken Ham, 
and we produce the family-friendly Answers Bible curriculum. Now, Genesis tells us that God's original creation was very good. God warned Adam not to eat of one specific tree or he'd die. Adam chose to disobey God and his choice brought death into creation. See, the book of Romans reminds us that it's because of one man's sin that we all sin. Now, scripture's clear. Death comes because of sin. Yet many Christians try to fit millions of years into Genesis. But that always puts millions of years of death before sin. It puts the punishment before the crime. We don't need to fit a secular interpretation of evidence into the Bible. When we start with God's Word, we can trust it fully. Why should the issue of the age of the earth and evolution matter to Christians? Get answers when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com. Discover more at AnswersRadio.com. Hey, yo, they said it was over, man. They said it was over. But it ain't over. We just getting started. Yo, 7,000, we all at. Let's go. Stand up, stand up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, stand up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing. And forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? Surprise, I'm back in your section With Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection More power than gravity His knowledge and strategies confound the academy Bow to his majesty He paid sin's salary, took up blame on Calvary Those who love his name spread his fame as the policy All eyes on the mattress price of his sacrifice That's prize, I'm after Christ and rise in the afterlife What, did we forget about the holiness of God or something? Did we forget that God owes us a ride or something? See the snake bruise when Christ came to save dudes Who hate truth, the gospel it's not fake news Our debt is sin The gospel sweeter than it's ever been Ain't nothing changed Let us sin We got the medicine It's still human emergency The serpent attack You think Jesus can't save? That's alternative facts Stand up, stand up If you truly love the Son of Man Trust, Jesus is alive And his people he'll revive And his fame is gonna spread across the land What's up? Stand up, stand up Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust, Jesus is the King So it's To my composition Lots of rhythm But not tradition No kind of different But God's consistent No contradiction My proposition Through crucifixion He mocked and crippled His opposition It's not some fiction I'm spitting The son of God is risen And my incentive For godly living Is I'm forgiven Jesus came to unlock the prison And through the spirit He brings a new birth Like an obstetrician At times I listen A lot of Christian hip-hop Is missing The proper vision It's my suspicion We drop the mission Not to this But the word of God Is it not sufficient The doctrine is That the gospel fixes I shot Condition. God the Spirit supplies conviction through proper diction Against the backdrop of our tradition, the gospel glistens A squad of Christians go out and witness a God's commission Cause Jesus Christ got the top position, no competition Stand up, hands up If you truly love the Son of Man, trust Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive And his fame is gonna spread across the land What's up? Stand up, hands up Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? They want Jesus in the background like elevator music, but we gon' celebrate him, relegate him, we refuse it. They hate Christian hip-hop, I peep myself. They say we too redundant, well let me repeat myself. What I gotta say almost feels too real estate. Sit back and feel the weight of what a real estate. Cause yo, Jesus Christ got me in the real estate. I'm purchased property, I feel like I'm real estate. If 
the father wasn't gracious, no sin in him. Again, he came straight blameless, no sin in him. Again, nothing's been the same since, no sin in him. Again, fakers lack his fragrance, no sin in him. This is not the picture in a frame to still Jesus. Nah, we serve the, the rock, the harder than still Jesus. So how are we gonna be silent, let the world still Jesus? When the world and its trends pass away, it's still Jesus. Stand up, hand up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, stand up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever say worthy is the Lamb. What's up? An attack on God's character. This is Ken Ham with a passion for sharing the truth of God's word with the world. Now, many Christians see no problem with adding millions of years and evolution into the Bible. But you know what they're really doing is adding millions of years of death and suffering before sin. And that's a serious issue. Actually, it's an attack on God's character. You see, if God used a wasteful process of millions of years of death, disease and extinction to create then he's not a very good creator. And when God finished, he looked at a broken creation and said, this is very good. Now, that's not the God of the Bible. The Bible calls death an enemy, one that will be destroyed. God didn't use evolution to create. Subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you visit our faith-building website at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again at AnswersRadio.com.
Romans and Corinthians. One and two. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Thessalonians. Undermining Doctrine. This is Ken Ham, head of the ministry that built a full-size Noah's Ark south of Cincinnati. Did you know that all of our major Christian doctrines are grounded in the history in Genesis? Think about it. Why is marriage a man and a woman? Because that's how God defined it in Genesis. Why are we male and female? Because that's how God created us in Genesis. Why is there death and suffering in creation? Because the perfect creation was marred by sin as told in Genesis. Why did Jesus need to die? Because death is a penalty for sin, starting in Genesis. Yes, Genesis is very, very important. And when we undermine that history with evolutionary ideas like millions of years, we're really undermining all of our Christian doctrine. Plan your trip to the full-size Noah's Ark when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or view a complete transcript at AnswersRadio.com. I was chained to sin, I couldn't take off the locks 
I thought I was a player, a match with the flavor. Say I know what the time is, but I ain't bet Isaiah. I would chuckle daily as I paid for disgrace. My eyes were always puffy like I got sprayed with mace. I would toot my horn at parties, and I would do bars. Got so intoxicated, I was ready to do Mars. Notorious for acting pretty silly in my city Philly. Friends hear about it and be like, whoa, did he really? Because I played dirty Bill Lambeer style. Through great mercy, spirit-filled and dear child. Went from so gritty to headed to a gold city. In Christ I shine, the world's like no biggie. Whatever time to sing, I'm putting faith on the song. 112 displayed in John, the way to respond. When his patience runs out, then it's time for the ride, man. Microwave, wrath of God, fam. That's why, because of Christ, I got mad joy. All I'm saying is I used to be a bad boy. <laughs> but nowadays, I'm regenerated. Born again from above, fam. How else can I say that? Went from various vices to a kid that's married to Christ. Using literary devices, the spit is very precise. My conversion to the master was so dramatic. I just wanted to be an ambassador or fanatic. The gospel was my tonic. With Christ, I couldn't lose. But to walk with God like Enoch, I knew I couldn't cruise. This walk is a beast, but nothing's greater than the cross. Saw the mark of the east and the of the laws, while power records were choosing to carry G unit. I was on that revolutionary theme music. The brothers from the Lou held it down as well. But we noticed a big shift in 2012. Around the time Jackie asked me about Calvinism, Christian hip hop found a different algorithm and crossed over. Without taking the crossover, made us all sober. Years later, is it all over? Trip asked me if I was still motivated. I was quiet, but I wanted to say no, I hate it. Cause brothers in your camp causing lots of confusion. I love them as brothers in Christ, but not their conclusions. They want to reach the world by all means. Keep pursuing it. But tell me why they got to diss the church while they doing it. That's what I wanted to say, but I ain't say it though. But no more laying low. I want them to play it slow. And I ain't dissing them. My prayers are the proof. Like Boaz without Ruth is unity without truth. CHH is like gorillas in the mist. With no brotherly love, it's like Philly don't exist. What's happening here? It's a different atmosphere. Cats appear most concerned about a rap career. Brothers overseas being slain in the sand while we're vain in our plan taking fame and some fans and i ain't got time to philosophize satan got a plot device i'm seeing lots of guys apostatize on top of all that donald trump's the president it's all good though because he's a trump's the president so more than ever i'm trying to rep the lord who bled and we ain't never going to stop word to corey red i'm just trying to give a healthy demonstration of theocentric music for the selfie generation see the problem is sin no riddle in it because all sin got i in the middle of it we're mad to praise and truly evil we need to be born again without a matt damon movie sequel in the gospel god addresses our depravity the lamb slain at calvary the depths of his agony he rose from the grave with abundant grace and when we come in faith he'll bring us up from the sunken place our sins decrepit depths left the mess no rest was left till jesus put death to death the beauty of the victory truly is a mystery the cross of jesus christ is at the nucleus of history before the cross they were saved on credit after the cross we've been saved on debit since our champion in the great war suffered we gonna proclaim his death like the lord suffer so welcome to the still jesus project yo we just getting started and we got a lot left an attack on the gospel this is ken ham ceo and co-founder of the apologetics ministry of answers in genesis What's the connection between our sin and Jesus' death? And why did Jesus need to come and die? Well, Scripture makes it clear death is a penalty for sin. That's because Adam literally rebelled against God and Jesus needed to come and die a physical death to pay for sin. But if we add millions of years and evolution into Genesis, we undermine this truth. 
You see, millions of years puts death before sin. And if that's the case, death isn't the penalty for sin. So why did Jesus need to come and die? Death is the penalty for sin. And the gospel is true because the history in Genesis is true. Discover more about the life-changing message of the gospel when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com and get equipped to defend the history in God's Word at AnswersRadio.com.
the start of Jesus' earthly ministry, he proclaimed the gospel and said, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Since Jesus said we must repent, it must be pretty important. What is repentance? To repent means to change one's mind. In the case of repentance before God, we change our mind about our sin, realizing that we have done evil in the sight of God. And we change our mind about God, knowing that He is holy and righteous and good. When you repent and believe, you're turning from something to something else. You're turning from the direction of your sin, which leads to death and eternity in hell. And you're turning to go in the direction of Christ, which leads to life and eternity with God. But the off-ramp to turn you around from unrighteousness to God's righteousness is grief over your sin. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation, whereas worldly grief produces death. Joel 2.13 says, Rend your hearts, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Psalm 7.12 says, If a man does not repent, God will let his sword. Isaiah 55 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon, when we understand the text. That was what? Also known as WWTT, when we understand the text. You can find it on YouTube as WWTT, WWTT, and they have a second channel called WWUT text. It's WWUT text. And it's reading with controller. Our website for the radio station, uh, radio channel, is uh, truthbetoldradio.com. It's T R U T H B E T O L D R A D I O dot C O. And also my Personal website is smilesandstuff.com, S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-S-F.com, smilesandstuff.com. And I'll hear another one from when we understand the text. In Genesis 9, after the world perished in the flood, God blessed Noah and his family and told them to fill the earth. The sons of Noah were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, from whom all nations are descended. Noah planted a vineyard, and one day he drank some of the wine and got smashed. So drunk he came out of his clothes and passed out naked in his tent. Ham came in and saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers. Shem and Japheth took a garment and walked backward to cover the nakedness of their father. When Noah came to, he knew what had happened and cursed Ham's son, Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. Regarding Ham's sin, some have pointed to Leviticus 18.8, which says, You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. So when Ham saw the nakedness of his father, this means he slept with his own mother. But the text says Ham saw his father in the buff. He did not uncover his nakedness. Noah acted shamefully, and it's 
instead of covering his father's shame, Ham left him naked and gossiped about it with his brothers who did not share his amusement. Ham's sin was that he dishonored his father. Yeah, that's not as juicy, but it's still very serious. The Lord said, honor your father and your mother, that you may live long in the land that God is giving you. Canaan's descendants, the Canaanites, would have their land taken from them and given to Shem's descendants, the Israelites. From the line of Shem would also come a Savior, Jesus Christ, who covers our shame when we understand the text. And now this is from Richard um, on YouTube. It's time for Wretched Radio with Tofrio. Actually, I prefer a number four phlegmatic watermelon elephant. That's who I am. This is Wretched Radio. It sure seems that we human beings, I'm not sure evangelicals more in particular than anybody else, but we sure do love personality tests, don't we? Uh, Nothing new historically. This goes back all the way to the Hippocrates or the Greek philosopher Hippocrates, who tried to help us understand ourselves by classifying us basically with body fluids and what we're made of. You're a phlegmatic. You're a sanguine. This is your personality type. Well, these have been going on for a long time. And I guess if there's nothing spiritual connected to them, no harm, no foul, But we've seen the Myers-Briggs test. We've seen evangelical-style tests so that you can determine your gifting, your personality type. We like these things. And my opinion is that in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with them but. You kind of knew that word was coming, didn't you? Might I suggest there is a better way for the Christian to figure out who you are what you're like, and what your gifting is. It's a little old thing called the local church. Another benefit and blessing of the local church. You can take a Myers-Briggs test if you want to, but it is in the context of the local church that people should be able to say to you, you know, I really see this in you. We've spent so much time together, laboring together. I can tell that you are a fill-in-the-blank, and it doesn't need to be... A a Hippocrates label, it doesn't need to be a Myers-Briggs label, nor does it need to be an Enneagram label, which is the latest trend in evangelical Christianity. Enneagrams are a personality test. But the question is, is that all they are? If you're not familiar with this, it seems to be a trend that is growing. There are tons of trends, because after all, we evangelicals, we are the trendy people, aren't we? But this one seems to be growing. I I was asked about this a number of months ago. What do you think about Enneagrams? It's E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. And I didn't think anything of it, because there's so many of these things going on in evangelical Christianity. But now over the months, I've seen enough articles had enough people saying, do you know anything about this, Dealey Bob? So I did some research, because frankly, I didn't. Found an article by Joe Carter, who did a pretty nice summation of the whole shebang. What you do with this trend, obviously it's up to you. and It's up to your local church to figure out this one, because it could be used rightly, but 
there do seem to be some strings attached, which just make it something that the Christian, in my opinion, doesn't need. You've got your local church. Your local church should know you better than a 10-minute questionnaire on the Internet to tell you if you're a type 1, 2, and there's nine different types. The Enneagram, if you want to, want to try to visualize this, it's a symbol. There's a circle, and then there's an inner triangle, and then an irregular hexagonal periodic figure. So it, it, it's a circle, and then it's got all of these different shapes on the inside of it. And then you try to figure out which shape you are by answering some questions. There's a 10-minute, and there's about a 40- or 50-minute more thorough questionnaire, because you can know an entire person and what they're like in 10 minutes or less, can't you? And so you fit into one of these shapes inside of the Enneagram, and primarily you're a type, but then you can be some extra things too, as is always the case with personality types, which is why I find them to fall short, typically in so many regards. Nobody's cleanly a this or a that. Nobody's perfectly this. You're always, well, yeah, I'm a little bit of that too, but it's kind of a, you're a mostly this. Now, here are the types. We're not going to do all nine, but you'll get the gist. Type one is the reformer, rational, idealistic, principled, purposeful, self-controlled, and perfectionistic. Now, you probably think you're at least some of that in some regard, in some ways. Type two, the helper. Caring, interpersonal type, demonstrative, generous, people-pleasing, and possessive. Okay, here's a question for you. Um, who determined these types? Hmm? Who said, this is the type that you are? And that is why I don't think this is the best way to figure out your gifting in the local church. Because it kind of puts you into, a, not a box, but it puts you into a shape. And we're more nuanced than that. And furthermore, who says this is what this is? And then you've got to compare it to the Bible to say, well, this is where my role is inside of the body. Why not read the Bible, see the different roles inside of the body, understand the local expression of the church that you belong to, ask people what your gifting is, where do you see me serving? And somebody, if this is the beauty of the local church. Somebody there should know you this well to be able to tell you, you know, you are always Johnny on the spot to help. It's amazing. No matter what the chore, you are just so helpful all the time. Now, they said you're, you're helpful. You're, you're somebody who gets stuff done. You are quick to volunteer. So does that mean that you are caring, interpersonal, demonstrative, generous, people-pleasing, and possessive? Well, I'm not all of those things, so I guess I'm not a helper. I must be a type three, the achiever. Success-oriented, pragmatic type, adaptive, excelling, driven, and image-conscious. Again, terms that have been defined by somebody else, shapes, that you're supposed to conform to, well, mostly, to tell us what our gifting is? I don't think we need these types of things. Should you be interested in the history of it, which leads us to what is the concern about the Enneagram besides, in my estimation, they're not nearly as helpful or good as your local church. Consider the history of this. Some proponents of the Enneagram attributed to the Desert Fathers that this would be the wackadoodle branch of Christianity 
let's call it through the Middle Ages, give or take, but they've existed regularly. These are the ones that were very mystical. Kabbalists, Sufi mystics, Pythagoreans, or Chaldeans. We just don't know for sure. But the earliest mention of the Enneagram is found in the writings of a Russian occultist, P.D. Uspensky, who attributes it to his teacher, the Greek-American occultist, Georgi Girgiev, I think. He considered the Enneagram a symbol of the cosmos, but he made no connection with personality types. Apparently it was just a symbol of the occult back then. Oscar Icazzo, another occultist, connected the Enneagram to the personality, claiming to have discovered the personality type meaning of the Enneagram when it was taught to him by the archangel Matratan while he was high on mescaline. One of his students, a Chilean-born psychiatrist, occultist, Claudio Naranjo was the first to connect the nine points of the Enneagram to nine basic personality types. In the 70s, students of Naranjo, the occultist, spread the Enneagram to various Catholic communities, especially the mystical contemplative circles. Think Desert Fathers. Think those who are into mysticism. The Enneagram, therefore, is connected with the occult. It, it, it has some relation to Desert Father, whether it's ancient or contemporary mysticism. In other words, it's got some strings attached. In other words, it can be used for more than just figuring out your personality type. Should the Christian participate in this? I I wouldn't make a law where there is no law, but we don't need to. I get it. I took one of these a number of years ago. I was I was taking a course at a believe it or not, at a seminary. And they they had you do these things to try to determine what sort of person you are. First of all, don't I have a family? Don't I have a noggin? I mean, we kind of know these things intuitively, don't we? You kind of know where you fit in. There's something about these things that I think is just, its we just are attracted to it. I don't know what it is, but there's just something about it that we seem to like. And I would suggest to you, because of its occultic connections, the, mis- the potential mystical element, because we don't need such things, because we have the local church, which is going to be more precise, more helpful, and more, what is that word, biblical than any other personality test that we can take. Let us avail ourselves of one another to help one another see ourselves from perhaps an outside perspective so that we know where we best fit in the body, but let us be at the very least cautious, if not rejecting any of these occultic-like enneagrams. This is Wretched Radio. You know how that social media is. You've got to be plugged in and connected. So when you please, 
like, subscribe, or share this video. That was from Wretched, their YouTube page, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D. You'll find them also Wretched.org. They got radio show, got TV show, host Taj Rio, and I'm your host here, Truth Be Told Radio, Russ Cantola, and what I'm going to do for you now is going to play a song called Kicking Old School here on Truth Be Told Radio. We kick it old school. 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 Come on, come on, don't miss the latest craze. Hit it for a minute, then it's on to the next phase. Easy come, easy go, the marketers will hack it. The only change that comes winds up in a pocket.
sauce all around, but remain for the manger, the cross to the crown. Yo, Satan had a shirt hold on him. Fight for the rope, but dope and then. R to the I to the S to the E to the N, that's what we hoping in. Riffing on his spell check, the risen king can rinse clean the most rebellious. I was hellbound, now I'm spellbound. Word is born, I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout, I was bought with a price. We gotta hope it won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth's sinking. We are clinging to the promises that God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly proportionate. Everything that orbits around his glory subordinate. He is the most excellent one. Intrinsic, infinite son. Preeminent the name par excellence. Prenom phenomenon. He's beyond phenomenon. You see the fiber of cosmology. The abba of astronomy. He's potter. We are pottery. It's shocking Jesus died for me. The father he adopted me and constantly provides for me. Whether or not I got degrees. You gotta see his odyssey. From sovereignty and lottery. To poverty and robbery. To resurrected bodily. Apocalyptic prophecy. He's stopping all the mockery. And scholarly snobbery. That don't acknowledge him properly. You ought to be on bended knee before the preeminent. It's awfully arrogant to reject him to your detriment. Study the development from Old and New Testament. You'll find a theme that's prevalent from age to age. It's relevant. Crisis on its center stage. Forget religious sentiments. The center on man. But something less is what you're settling. He is the most excellent. Exercising benevolence and blessing a remnant with the benefits of his inheritance. Yeah. The sin of sinners that separated and segregated. That severed the relations between man and his maker. And placed Christ on his costly cross. And compensated his life, death, and resurrection. Emancipated and gave us freedom from it all. Freedom from the effects of the fall. Freedom from Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden and from the law. So the saints stand and applaud his grace and glorious cause with hands raised, praising his name, singing glory to God. Recognize them by their fruits. 
So what are the fruits of a false teacher that would qualify him or her for being a cult leader? This issue is a little bit more complex than I think most people consider. There are typically, could be a little more, could be a little less, five qualifications that make a cult a cult. Number one, a charismatic leader, no accountability, all authority, who likes to be worshipped. Number two, a process of coercive indoctrination or education. In other words, they like to brainwash people. Number three, economic, sexual, or other exploitation of group members by the leader. Number four, separation from family, and finally, societal awkwardness. In other words, they tend to be kind of weird, <laughs> regularly in compounds, fenced off from the world, separated from loved ones. There are many different ways a cult can be a cult. What are the implications? Number one, Jesus warned this would happen. Bible's right again. Number two, People are hurting and in need of community. Hello, church. Number three, considering all the criteria necessary to be considered a cult, we should be pretty thoughtful in labeling any particular group a cult. Be warned, many people who have said, that would never happen to me, it has happened to them. A big question, what makes a cult a cult? A cult is a group that is not orthodox, kind of weird, and has a devotion to a person, object, or set of new ideas. If you'd like more Wretched content and who visit Wretched.org and you will have Wretched coming out of your nose. And that's biblical. And this to you, I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you, I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning, cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning, and this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity, ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously, loving one another endlessly Billions and billions of years ago, outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know, but Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, 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 as long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed, what can that mean, but my God is immutable, immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the Immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change. Forever you reign, you remain the same. You will never change, you will never change. Immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change. I was 
just the other day How you reign supreme by far Not just because of what you do But simply because of who you are There's none like you in existence You are God and you need no assistance Even though we show you resistance You sent Jesus to close the distance That existed between God and man According to your sovereign plan We changed many times in one lifespan I changed even since this song began Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us All that you do will certainly last You are the rock that we can trust Shows us back in eternity past As long ago as that was as long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, you remain the All of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies Still you pursue relentlessly At times I wonder how this can be Surely it's because of the cross Where Jesus paid the full penalty And bore the burden of sin's great cost I'm saved by grace and faith in God I look to Christ and I trust he died So even though I'm being sanctified I can't be any more justified His work is finished that cannot change And with this knowledge I am free Forever this grace it will remain Because of what happened on Calvary As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change. You remain the same. Immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change. Forever you reign, you remain the same. You will never change, you will never change. Immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change. This
the story It will be my theme and glory To tell the old, old story Of Jesus and His love Yeah. 
that was Goldfish, Sweet Song Salvation, and the and the show now and fill up with Yancy and Friends with Via Really. Bye for now. <laughs>